faith is about speaking about the things you accept, not the things you reject. That's a massive difference. But before we tackle how to handle doubting, not just that one, but doubting, it's important to know that it's not a new idea, the spirit of doubting. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is about to be resurrected. He's come back from the dead and meeting with his disciples. They're in shock and awe and amazement. How incredible. Jesus, our Savior, lives. He's in his new form, and it is marvelous. He takes them out to the mountaintop, and just before he's about to go up into heaven, he gives them some final instructions. Look at verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that amazing? It's an important note because everyone thinks only Thomas doubted. Good old doubting Thomas. But here are the disciples at the feet of Jesus, worshipping him, having heard that he's going to be taken up into heaven, and even worshipping, they're still fighting doubting. And I think that's the starting point on how to build a faith in a world that is full of doubt that you bring your doubt to the cross and you worship Christ even through doubting until doubting finds its answer in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not a sin to doubt. It's not a sin to doubt. Doubting is simply a key. You have to choose whether you use the key to lock the door or you use the key to unlock a door. Is that an amen, sort of a clap thing going on there? Yo, let's make it a clappable moment, you, uh, uh, just for, to break the ice, you know? You see, doubting either is something I put into the door and say, I will never believe that again, I will never trust that again, I will never go into that room again, and I lock it. Or doubting is a key that when I process that doubt, it opens a door to a new world of the nature of God. See, a person who goes through illness and has prayed and prayed and no healing comes like Canel's healing has come, but somebody else's healing doesn't, they hold a key of doubt. Now, they either have to say, God is not a healer and close the door, or they have to say, I have found God my comforter in a way that somebody who has been through what I've been through doesn't know God as a comforter, like I know God, as a comforter. That key opened a door to me. If you went into that room, you would see how beautiful that room is. See, every time we go through something, we hold a key, that key opens a door, or you choose whether it locks a door. And I think that's the power of, of uh, uh, grasping the importance that doubt plays. I have to admit, uh, confess that... Um, uh, every now and then, doubt plagues me. Doubt plagues me uh, now and then because I think, surely one prayer was enough. Lord, your ears are good. I've prayed some prayers in all the languages I know. English, Afrikaans, broken Zulu, Google Translate, is it closer? Greek, other tongues. One of them must have gotten through. 
Why have you not answered? Or every now and then, I think of people who've come to church year in and year out, worshipped and prayed and worshipped and prayed, and the context of their lives is still rough and, and tough. And I'm, uh, and I think to myself, what's going on? We, we have doubts for a few reasons. We have doubts because there is something we lack. Doubt is not the result of something God lacks. Doubt is the result of something we lack. For example, firstly, a lot of us generate doubt because we have a knowledge deficit. What we don't know and answer to produces doubt. How exactly was the world made? Genesis 1 and 2 isn't complete. Did, did the dinosaurs roam around? Was it six days or 6,000 years? Was it billions of years? Was it a nutshell? Was it not? Knowledge, a deficit, produces doubt. But the fact is, if we had all the knowledge and all the information available to the human race given to us, it would still not be enough. That was the curse of the Garden of Eden. If you eat this fruit, you will gain knowledge. And knowledge will never feed you enough. That was the curse. Remember God said, the knowledge of good and evil, let's, let's keep them away from that, that tree. Do you know the reason for that is everything you know produces things you don't know. How annoying is that? And the moment you get to know the thing you don't know, you find out there's something else you don't know. Knowledge deficit produces doubt. A moral dilemma produces doubt. Why would a child, an innocent child, die in a tragic way? A moral dilemma. Why would a nasty person who spits in God's face succeed? And a saint who worships and prays and gives and serves Battle. That causes doubt. Is this uncomfortable? Is it uncomfortable? I think, I, think it's very impo- I think it's important we look into the face of the giant of doubt and say, I see you. And I know how to beat you. I know how to beat you. And sometimes an unfair deal produces doubt. It just seems... Do you know there's a psalm where the psalmist writes and says, why do sinners' ways prosper? (laughs) It's not a new idea. It's just a genuine reality. Why do sinners' ways prosper? And in fact, the psalmist goes on to say, and all I go through is a process with God. (laughs) Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's been through a process and you'd be happy for that process to end in prosperity of something, kind of something. You know what I mean? And then the sinner is going through no process and seems good with things. Sometimes we produce, uh, we generate doubt because we've dealt with broken disciples before. Some Christian did you wrong, took advantage, wasn't true to their word, behaved badly. Some kind of way, doubt was produced. I'd like to be brave enough to say that every person in this room at some point or in some space of faith experiences some doubt. 
But I want to tell you, doubt does not have to destroy you. Doubt can provoke you to discovering the deepest parts of God's destiny in your life. Doubt actually can make of you a believer with a God encounter. Do you know that almost everybody who's experienced God at some kind of personally transforming way, almost everybody, is somebody, even in Scripture, who at some point said, God, I can't see you. Where are you? And then God showed himself. Doubting Thomas, Pearl Doubting Thomas, let's not call him Doubting Thomas, should we? Let's just call him Thomas. Was exactly like that. John chapter 20 says this. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, I heard a preacher say that's where the first Diddy was in the Bible. I do feel that's a bit of a dad joke. Um, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't present. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where his nails were um, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hand, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting, start believing. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. There are a couple of things I want to draw out of that to turn doubt around from doubting to believing. First of all, Thomas didn't want to be around people who kept saying only good things. Let me tell you something about doubt. It can be irritating when you listen to people who only have a positive report all the time. So what happened was Thomas wasn't there. They went to him and said, Thomas, you don't believe it. We saw Jesus. He cooked a meal for us. He turned water into wine. We had the best dinner. We didn't have lights in the house. It was load shedding. He flicked, he flicked his finger. Lights came on. And Thomas was like, just leave me alone. Let me tell you something about somebody who's doubting. And when you go through a, phasing, a phase of doubting, be patient. Don't rub it in people's faces. Rather say, I also had my days of doubting. One or two of those disciples aren't honest. They're claiming now that they've always been strong believers. Weren't they in Matthew 28? Some of them were doubting. You forget your failure when you've had your victory. But just remember somebody else is on their way to a victory too and be patient with them along the way. The second idea that's so powerful about this is that Jesus uh, heard in heaven Thomas's doubts. And I love the scripture that through a locked door, you see, Thomas had locked the door, physically but metaphorically. And Jesus broke through a locked door and said, Thomas, I respect you going through doubt, but let me tell you what, you're still here in this room. A week ago, you couldn't even make it to the meeting. But this week, you're in the room. 
And I think we should be really patient that when you're going through a phase that you don't even feel like being in the room in God, amongst God's people, the fact that you're even here tonight and you made it and pushed through your doubts and got in the room, Jesus will break through the locked doors and he will give you a wow moment. And you will say, my Lord and my God. You've got to get people in the room. You know, people might have to be in the room and stand in the back and cry through their own anger and disappointment until God unlocks the door and says, here I am. You've got to have grace for that. You've got to allow uh, yourself to process doubt in the room and acknowledge, accept that Jesus isn't judging but willing to demonstrate himself uh, in your life. I, I want to encourage you that um, that uh, it, it is the one who doubted that discovered God that be, very often becomes the loudest in their adoration and their worship. Thomas should not be known as doubting Thomas because in the New Living Translation or the King James rather, it says, Thomas shouted aloud my Lord and my God. I wish he was named by how the story ends, not how it starts. That's shouting, Thomas. That, that's not doubting, Thomas. Those of you who follow the story of Thomas, he eventually actually is martyred for his faith in Italy. And by refusing to reject Christianity and accept that he, Christ is one of many gods, they put him to death. And on his dying moments, he refused to renounce uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I, I want for you to understand that, uh, appreciate that. Uh, uh, faith is easy to keep lit, uh, and I mean that in the genuine sense, in a church experience. But faith is strong outside of here. And in the, faith, in the face of doubts, faith can hold its own. As long as you give yourself permission to worship and doubt, to show up and doubt, to ask the Lord for a touch moment, even in your doubt, and to hang out with people who won't close the door in your face because you weren't here last week because of doubt. And when you get through all of that, you'll shout. And God will turn it around to a great big victory. Sometimes we forget the basics. Psalm 23 is probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. Even your unsaved friends know it. I mean, more or less. Give or take a few verses, you know. But we forget the part that says, even though I walk through the shadow of, yeah. Though I walk through the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil we forget that there may be some walking through, through some shadowy places. Don't worry. He'll get you to the other side and you will fear no evil. It'll never touch you. Can you say amen to that? Is that a clappable moment again? Um, 
I wonder if you could stand with me, because I'd like to pray with you. And here's the goal of tonight's, of tonight's conversation. The goal is, in whichever area you feel like God isn't coming through yet for you, I, I want for you to be patient and, and, and to know that God, God does not judge our doubting. He'll show up in our doubting at just the right moment. And I wonder if in this moment as we wrap up, uh, if you would be vulnerable enough, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Um, and I want to invite you to come forward for this. Only at the end of the service, if anyone would like to come forward and be prayed for by any of the team here, you're welcome to. But if you're here tonight and you are in your, in your heart, in the secret place of your heart, you are rest, wrestling something. You're wrestling a space where you just can't, you just can't see God in it. And it, it's, it's bothering your faith. It's producing doubt. And you just, you need to push it aside all the time. And tonight, you just want the Lord to give you peace. That's where you're at. I'd really be honored if I could just pray with you, just where you're standing. And I'd like you to raise your hand or hands long enough for me to see it and say, I'm in a, in a, in a fight. Thank you. Thank you. I've got to get through this because it's, it's, Toxic for me, and the devil's using that toxicity. And something, it's a dilemma, it's a thing, it's a knowledge gap, whatever it is, but it's breeding doubt. Thank you. There's so many of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for peace in the storm. I thank you, Lord, for an acknowledgement that this is just the key. We will not be those who lock ourselves up, we will be those who use keys to unlock to open doors. Thank you that you break through our prison doors. Thank you that you break through our broken hearts and you break through our barricaded emotions and you show yourself to us. Would you please reveal yourself to every person in this room and every person who's raised their hands and would you please give us peace until the victory comes. We don't live a life by the things we reject or the things we don't know. We live a life by the things we know and the things we have accepted. Teach us to live joyfully, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you give God one more shout of praise and worship?